0: Bokir Tov, good morning. Our uh, Parsha class, Pashas Korach, uh, this morning is sponsored generously by my parents in memory of my mother's father, my grandfather, Sam Abof Shmuel Ben Yonah Gedalia. And I'll take the prerogative because it's my grandfather. Just to take uh, one moment to tell you about him. He was a very, very special man. And I had the privilege of being very close to him. My son, Shai, is named for him, Shmuel Yisrael Nassan, named for two of his great-grandfathers, Shmuel and Yisrael Nassan. My grandfather was a... A modest man, a humble man, a gentleman, a uh, very smart man. He was the superintendent of schools of Elizabeth, New Jersey, very close with uh, Rabbi Taits. The family actually preceded the Taits, even to Elizabeth, and his educational uh, brilliance and, and success, he uh, devoted to Torah and and to the spread of Jewish education across this uh, country. He was a very, very special person with a deep faith, a simple and a quiet faith, uh, uncomplicated faith. A very gentle soul and loved all people and had an enormous impact on his community in Elizabeth and on all of us. And our learning today should be Le'iloy Nishmaso Shmuel ben Rabiona Gedalia. If you want to know more, you can ask my mom after class. Parsha's Korach. Parsha's Korach. Page 820 in the Arthur Stone Chumash. Parsha's Korach, of course, is the Parsha of the. Um, the story of Machlokas. We have online on Y.U. Torah. Previously, we've given several shiurim on the anatomy of Machlokas, exactly what was driving this great rivalry, this debate, or a debate that uh, Chazal, the Mishnah and Pirkei characterizes as shalol l'shem shamayim. You have debates which advance and further the interests of Hashem. They're healthy. They stimulate thinking. There's a great debate going on right now like that. It's kind of... Um, it's kind of Hasidus versus the Misnagdem 2.0, the Grun, the Baal Shem 2.0, with Moshe Weinberger and Rabbi Shafran, a Rebbe at Neer Yisrael. I don't know if anyone's following these articles back and forth, and the Shiurim back and forth, and this notion, do we need Hasidus? Do we just need Gemar Rashi That's a machlokus L'Shem Shemaim. If you're following that debate, I may write about it this week. It's fantastic. It's fascinating. What I love about it is that it has people on both sides excited and animated and arguing but all the Shem Shemayim, they're arguing about what we need in our time, what is the means, the mechanism, the best strategy to connect to the ribon Shalom. This Korach Va'adoso is characterized as a machlokas, Shalol l'shem Shemayim. It wasn't genuine, it wasn't authentic, it wasn't interested in advancing the will of Hashem in this world, making the world a better place. It was driven by ego. And in fact, that's the opening words Vayikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kaas ben Levi. That opening word, Vayikach, the Torah never tells us Vayikach what Korach took. Rabbis across the country, will speak about it the Shabbos. What did he take? Rashi says he took himself to one side. He took himself to one side, he extracted himself. Instead of being integrated in the community, instead of operating with harmony with the community. He instigated a machlokas and it left him on the outside. The amazing thing about Bali machlokas is they lack self-awareness. He didn't even realize he was on the outside. So convinced that they're right in machlokas, so absolutely convinced that they're correct and everyone else is wrong, the person doesn't realize how isolated they've become. They don't understand the damage that they have wrought. The rabshetsu Rabbi says, means, you know what the root of the challenge, the root of the problem was? He was, he could only see one side of the debate. In order, you can have your opinion. You can have your opinion. And we should all argue persuasively for our opinions. We should advocate for our opinions. But we have to be capable of seeing the other side. For there to be a healthy relationship within the community healthy relationships within our lives, you can't be on Tzad Echad, you have to stay, see Shnei tzadim. See both sides, even if you're going to take one of the sides. Korach was Lakach as Echad. He could only see it one way. He was blinded, which we'll come back to, but he was blinded by the ability or inability to see another perspective, to be able to come at it from another angle, to see it from another way. By Kroll spoke at the uh, Kattushiv High School graduation. You remember several weeks ago? What was it? Laurel and Hardy. Laurel and no. What was the people heard a sound and you could hear it one of two ways. None of you know what I'm talking about. Your grandchildren all know what I'm talking about. Okay. What? Yeah, Laurel and come on, Rafaeli. What was the other one? Nanny Hardy. Nanny Hardy. What? No, Laurel and Hardy was okay. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Yanni, Yanny. Yanni, and Laurel. So you only heard one side, and people who heard it one way were convinced the other side was categorically wrong. They were distorted. They weren't hearing the same thing. They weren't hearing the right thing. And it was an amazing, actually, national or international exercise in this question of, is it possible for me to hear one thing and make room and allow you to hear another? Is it possible for me to be convinced that what I hear I hear? Can I stand by what I hear, but nevertheless respect and make room and allow you to hear what you hear? That's Schneitstatin. That's the ability to see things from two sides. It's the root of all relationships. And if you don't have that ability, if it's sad echad, you know, Ish Ish Kisista, that's the possible parsha of sota we read a few weeks ago. Ish ish, why did the parsha say, what drove this woman? Not to excuse her behavior. At all, But what drove her to explore a relationship elsewhere? Because Ish Ish, her husband Ish Ish, he imposed himself. Only one way of looking at it. Only one way of thinking about it. Only one way of behaving, demanding and arguing and saying she has to be this way. So Korach only saw one side. And when you only see one side and when you insist that everyone needs to see it the way you see it. And if you see it any other way, you're either ill-informed, you're ignorant, you're stupid, you're evil, you're wicked, you're archaic, you're fanatic. If you don't see it my side, I find all the names in the world to call you, then that's what creates Machlokas. If you want to have harmony and relieve Machlokas, there has to be the ability, not letzad echad, but shnei tztadim, the ability to see it from two sides. It says, Korach was a pikeach, Melech Biedermann brings this down, that Korach was a a pikeach, and uh, he brings here some gematria. He says, "Twice pikeach is the gematria of shalom, and pikeach is gematria of twice tsad. When you can see both sides, both tsad sad times two. When you can see both sides, you're a pikeach. That's when you're smart. That's when you're wise. And when you're a pikeach, twice pikeach. When you're smart, you can see both sides. Then you have shalom. Then you have then you have harmony. So." Vayikach Korach, what did Korach tell He took himself out of the tzibur. He wasn't Me'ura v'nabrios. He wasn't integrated. He wasn't harmonious with others. He didn't make room for other people to see things differently. He only sought his way. The Moshetz the Yisrael the Moshetz, the Yisrael, says Vayikach Korach, you know what Korach mistake what? You could give a five-hour shear just on the two words, Vayikach Korach. I'm not going to. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to. Vayikach Korach, says the Moshetz the Vayikach, he made the mistake of thinking that positions of authority, that positions of respect, that positions of distinction are Vayikach, that you take them, that you demand them, that you go after them. And he failed to realize that when one attains those positions, not by taking them, one attains those positions when they are bestowed by the Ribbon Mishalom. When Hashem gives that prestigious position, when he endows a person with the privilege of serving as a leader within the community, it's a gift from Hashem. And Vayikach Korach, that was Korach's mistake. Moshe and Aaron didn't ask for this. They were tapped by Hashem. But Vayikach Korach, Korach thought, prestige, distinction, power, is something that you take. And that was his undoing, that was his mistake. Says the Marchus Rebbe, that's how you understand the Gemarion Chagiga, that says, Aza hushota. who's a foolish person? Person. A fool is somebody who loses, who, who lets go of what's given to them. Simple understanding of the Gemara is you're a fool if you have opportunity, you have gifts, and you let them go, you waste, you squander them. But the Majah reinterprets it. Who's a Shota? Who's a fool? One who loses the awareness, that Hashem is the one who gives. You can't take. Yes, we work, and yes, we advance, and yes, we make progress, and yes, we take initiative. But ultimately, our success—be it material success or be it a success of title or prestige—is something which is bestowed by Hashem. It's not taken. It's not taken by us. We'll, uh, we'll come back more to this machlokas. Poor, the poor end of the parsha gets neglected because everybody focuses on the beginning and the majority of the parsha, which is this rebellion. I want to get through the overview of the parsha, then we'll delve into spe- certain specific psukim together. But the, um, the rebellion is a fascinating rebellion. It's fascinating because it's illogical. Vayikach, Korach, means also, the Rav says Vaikach. some suggest Vaikach means he was on the take. He took. What does it mean? He took, he was on the take. That this wasn't about Machol Hashem Shemayim. He didn't really care about what God wanted of the Jewish people. What was he driven by? His ego. He was on the take. Not necessarily that he... That he took money, that he, that, he, that he took money, but he was on the take, meaning he did it for his own ego. Va'yikach. But Rabbi Salantik says va'yikach means when a person is singularly focused, when they're meshugelah davar when they become so devoted and dedicated to one way of thinking and to the pursuit of one agenda, then they're they're illogical and they're incapable of hearing anything else. And they're incapable of having good judgment or seeing with clarity. Vayikach Korach. He was taken by this idea that he had come up with. He was consumed by it. It's all he thought about. When he was in the shower, when he was getting dressed, when he was going to shul, when he was davening, when he was on his way to work, he was consumed by this thought about why are Moshe and Aaron in charge? I'm from the same family. It's nepotism. Why is it everyone but me? I don't get the honor and recognition I deserve. He was so consumed by that that it blocked or clouded his ability to see, to judge, to hear anything else, and it became utterly and absolutely illogical. Rav Weiss points out, quotes the Arim, that what was his what was his accusation? We're all equally holy. Who do you think you are? You raise yourself. You put yourself above everyone. We're all equal. We're all equal. Why do you act like you're all that, Moshe Naron? Who died and made you the king of the universe? So it says the Chiddushi Arim. Could there be a more illogical accusation than Korach pointing to Moshe and saying, "Moshe, you're so arrogant. You're so egotistical. You think it's all about you. You self-appointed yourself over everyone else. Why is that so illogical, irrational? Why is it the most absurd accusation ever? Because what did we just hear testified by God Himself at the end of Baloscha?" Kadosh Baruch himself says, Moshe Anav Mikol Adam, Adama. There's never been a more humble man in all of existence. One of the Yidgemalikarim, one of the thirteen principles of faith, is to know that Moshe is the greatest human of all time, greater than anyone who came before or anyone who will come after. Rav Rasha says, "Why does it say Anav Mikol Adam, Greater Mikol HaAdam, better than all people?" So he says, Adam is a reference to Avram, David, and Moshe. The first three letters of their names. Avram, David, and Moshe spells Adam. They were all known to be very humble. And yet, Moshe's humility surpassed them all. Moshe said, ma, What are we? We're nothing. Avram avinu said, I'm dust and ashes. So how could Korach possibly have thought that he was going to gain traction? What could have led Korach to think that there was any legitimacy to this argument? that, Moshe, you're so ego-driven, you're so arrogant, you think you're all that. What do you, HaKadosh Baruch who just testified. He's anav mikol ha'adam. He's the most humble of all people. Elamai, what do you see from here, says the Chidush Arim. What you see from here is that when people are swept away by machlokas, they turn off their brain to logic. They start drawing conclusions that are illogical, that are irrational. It clouds our thoughts. It renders us unable to differentiate right from wrong, truth from false. We become self sabotaging. When we are engaged in machlokas, Korah, when we become so fixated, so consumed by that one thought, that one accusation, that one suspicion, we start to see things that not only aren't, but that could not be. We start to believe in the absurd because we're so driven by that sense of a by that sense of a machlokes. So that was Korach. Korach was suspicious. That was his argument. And how does Moshe react? He says, you know what? Let's all sleep on this. Boker, we'll deal with it in the morning. And that's the section we're going to come back and look at momentarily. Why does Moshe say, let's look at it in the morning? Why not here now? You got to put this thing to bed before it ferments, before it grows. Why, uh, why Why did Moshe allow it to wait? Boker, we'll deal with it in the morning. It's going to metastasize by the morning. Why did he allow that? Moshe summons and Vaviram, They ignore him. Hashem responds. We know with four responses. First, the earth swallows up. Gemara has a Did Korach die in the earth, swallowing him up? Or did he die later? Because after the earth swallows up the first group, then 250 die by by a fire that comes and consumes them. And then we have a plague that strikes another 14,000. And when all is said and done, you think we're finished, right? Kadesh has kind of made his point. Moshe and Aaron have been vindicated. They won. Let's move on. We're done. And yet there's one more thing that has to happen, which is the competition of the staffs. Aaron is placed the others. Aaron's blossoms. The others don't blossom. Why did we need that last thing? You could listen online. We spoke about that in the past. About the nature of vindication. We quoted Covey in his seven habits. But the best thing is a win-win doesn't have to be a win lose or a lose lose but win win is the best op- option that we're looking for in conflict resolution or in negotiation and that created more of a of a win win right after the episode is concluded all these people have tragically died casualties by the way the most came from the tribe of Ruven Ruven suffers the greatest casualties Ruven Korach was from which tribe Levi, why did Ruvain suffer the most casualties? If you go back to the beginning of Amid, Barashi says, because Ruvain was placed right next to Levi in, in the beginning of the encampment, the encamping assignments. Ruvain suffers the most. We've spoken about that in the past, and it's available online as well. So when the episode ends, the Torah then continues with reiterating the duty, the responsibility of the Kohanim. Why would it do that? Because the people of Levi, the tribe of Levi, the Kohanim might have thought... Maybe others think what Korach thought. Maybe the Kodesh Baruch himself has second thoughts about their position of distinction. So the Torah therefore reiterates that no, they have this role of of distinction and uh, and they have their responsibilities that they need to serve. We have the Matnas Kahuna, the gifts of Truma and Maiser, what's given to the Kohen, what's given to the Levi. Included in that are the Bikurei, are the first. If you go to... Uh, Parak Chapter Eighteen, Verse Yud Gimel Thirteen. Bikure Kol Hashem Baratzama Sheavilu Hashem L'Chayyeh Kol Tahor Beveischa Yochlenu Kol Peta Pado Tiftes B'chor Adam Uftiabim Ben Chodesh Tiftes B'chor Shor. The whole notion of the first, the first, many different forms of the first. So let me share with you Rabbi Salavitchik's insight on this obsession. Or why is it that we deliver so many of our firsts to Hashem? Said Rabbi Salavechik. These verses deal with the idea that the first created belonged to God. The first born, the first ripened, the first harvested, encompassing human, animal, and vegetative life. And all are God's possession. Cherem, objects dedicated to God are included. He in turn transferred them to the Kohen. The prohibition of Orla, the fruit of the first three years of a tree's life, and chadash, eating a new grain before the barley offering in the base of mikdash and Pesach, are evidence to the same concept. Man is not allowed to eat from the yield of the soil before he has brought the offering to Hashem. All of life, human, animal, and vegetative belong to God and must be surrendered to Him. In the act of sacrificing the first fruit, the earliest budding of life, Hashem's mastery over and leadership of the world find expression. Right? So by submitting and surrendering the first of everything, First of our animal, the first of our fruit, the first of our children, by each one of those has a sanctity that needs to be redeemed or dedicated or offered to Hashem. And says the Rav, the message is the recognition that what's the relationship we have with the first? It's a deeper, greater relationship than anything that comes after. Not our children, our children we all love equally, but the notion of the first is I'm a middle child, so right, love all the children equally. So. The notion is, though, that whatever comes first has our greatest excitement. It's also the greatest reward for the greatest effort. The farmer sits in the field, he plants, and then he waters and he nurtures and he breaks his back, taking care, and he harvests. And now he's ready to dig in to his first tomato or his first wheat or barley harvest. And what's the halacha? The first. First fruit are brought to the Beis HaMikdash. First fruit that first pregnancy, the first child. And what do you have to do with the Behor? Not yours. Not yours until redeemed. All first is the submission, the surrender, that everything really belongs to Hashem. He's allowed me to be the steward over it. I can enjoy it. I'm responsible to take care of it. I'm in charge of it. I can benefit from it. But really, it all belongs to Hashem. And Hashem makes that point of His mastery, His ownership, over the whole world through this emphasis of the relationship with the Bechor that crosses across the human animal and vegetative life. Sacrifices are drawn from the animal realm, says the Rabb, because the very idea of offering suggests the surrender of life to its rightful master, to Hashem. But offerings are also drawn from the vegetative realm. Wine, oil and flour take a most prominent place in the sacrificial lists that all organic existence is one continuum and is a postulate of Judaism. But the Torah does not apply uniform standards to all of organic life. Human life is evaluated as the apex of the biopyramid, what was termed selim, and plant as its base. But the difference consists only in degree, not in kind. Therefore, all organic life is included in the sacral act of offering life to Hashem. The fact that the first budding of life must be consecrated to Him is a logical consequence of the idea that Hashem is the rightful owner of all life. Every living creature owes its very existence to Hashem and it is the first thing that, God li- that God's life-giving breath is most clearly manifest. The daybreak of life belongs to Hashem but is least to man. And as a result, Judaism proclaims the idea of Bechor, the firstborn. Kadei called Bechor, sacrifice the firstborn. The firstborn shall be consecrated to Hashem. The Bechor man or animal is claimed by the Master. In the case of a clean animal, the firstborn is surrendered to Hashem in the form of a sacrifice. In reference to human and unclean animals, the Torah recommends redemption, a symbolic performance that still retains its ab- aboriginal meaning in the form- formula which was composed by the Gaonim. Ma bo'ist fey, which do you prefer, to give away your firstborn or to redeem him? It is critical that the idea of b'chor belongs to Hashem, expressing unique intimacy between Hashem and any living creature, including vegetative life. And he goes on and on. He talks about the notion of Truma and Chala is the same idea in vegetative life. You're separating a piece. It's consecrated and holy. It's dedicated to Hashem. The Rav has one other insight. And then we'll go back to analyze our, our... psukim we're going to look at today, In the context of this b'chor, of the first, there's the first of animal life, the first of vegetative life, and the first of human life, which is Haben. And here the Rav offers an insight I had never thought of before, or heard before, and put it in your back pocket if you ever have to speak at it, a pigeon Haben, it's fantastic. You have to redeem the firstborn. You have to redeem the firstborn. If it's born naturally, and Right, all the depending on the yichos and so on. The ceremonial of redemption of the firstborn son reenacts the drama. Says the rav, this is a reenactment of Akedas Yitzchak. That's a good question. That's a good question, for another time. The ceremonial redemption of the firstborn son. Re- we'll, we'll hold questions till the end. Re- it's a good question, Larry. Reenacts the drama of Avram offering Yitzhak to Hashem of the knight of faith, unreservedly giving away his son to Hashem. Children are the greatest and most precious charge to Hashem that Hashem is entrusted to man's custody without granting any property rights to them. Man willy-nilly must acknowledge this irrevocable, though bitter, truth. He must be ready to lose everything if losing is what God demands. He must always answer the call summoning him to perform heroically the movement of withdrawal from the most tightly knit and natural community on earth that of a parent and child, of a father and son, and to retreat from positions which psychologically speaking man lacks the courage to abandon, because the departure from these positions would mean to the ordinary, unredeemed person self displacement and existential uprootedness. The offering of Yitzhak is exemplary of this type of sacrificial service to Hashem. Our midrashic scholars maintain that Hashem, when He commanded Avram to take his son and offer him on the mountains, did not will him to bring a physical sacrifice. All He willed Avram to do was relinquish his son. Who showered with love that tore down all the barriers separating two individuals. Again, he goes on and on. I don't want to take the time, but he very beautifully portrays this parallel between the experience of Pidyan Aben, that your firstborn child, like what Avram had to do with Yitzchak, the parent does with their firstborn child when they say, he really belongs to Hashem, and has to go through this exercise and this process of redemption and bringing him back and bringing him back home. Okay, let's look at our Sukkim that we're going to analyze this morning. It is Perak Tezayan Pasakhe. Perek Tezayan Pasakhei, the bottom of page eight hundred and twenty, towards the very beginning of the Pasha. And where we pick up is exactly when Korach has finished articulating his complaint. He says, Ravlachem, you have too much. Kolay Kedoshah. everybody's equal. Moshe, Aaron, who are you? Who do you think you are? Everyone's equal, you're not better than us, you're not greater than us. Who are you to tell us what to do? And what's Moshe's reaction? Veishma Moshe, Panav. Moshe is he falls on his face. By the way, this is a greater reaction than he's had to things in the past. This is on the heels of the Misoninim, the complainers. We're hungry, we're tired, we're thirsty, we want to go back to Egypt. We this, we this, we this. And here Moshe reacts, Hashem reacts, even more harshly than he does to any of those complaints. <coughs> but says, because it's a watershed moment. You see, those complaints—they came from, they were driven by taiva, by appetite, by desire, by temptation. This is not driven by appetite. This is an ideological rebellion. This undermines the authority, the centralization of the Jewish people. If Korach's rebellion gains traction, if it catches on, this is the end of the Jewish people. This is the end of the Jewish journey. This is the end of Jewish history and Jewish destiny. And so Moshe understands that. He has that insight as obviously does the Rebonus Shalom. And therefore, he reacts the way that he does. So what does he say? Moshe speaks to them. What does he say? Boker! In the morning! Let's wait till the morning. And Hashem will make known the One who is His own and the Holy One. Who are the one who is... Who are those separate people? Rashi says... Esa shelo, the one who is his, la'avod as the leviyam. Ve'isa kadosh, and who are the holy ones? Ha'kahuna. So you're arguing against both me and Aaron. You're challenging the positions of the leviyam and the kohanim. So Moshe says, Boker, let's wait till the morning. And in the morning, Hashem will reveal who he endorses for the kohanim and Levium. Ve'isa shayiv ha'bo, Yakrive love, And he will draw him close to himself, and whoever he will choose, he'll draw close to himself. That's what that's what's going to happen, and the question I want to ask: you could spend almost the remainder of our time on just that word, boker, just that word boker, boker. What's boker? I know it means morning, but why morning? Why wait until the morning? Resolve it now. Don't let it ferment. Don't procrastinate. Don't let it metastasize. Don't let it catch on. Don't let it gain traction. Wipe them out. Strike them down ostracize him, excommunicate him, put him in a What are you doing, Moshe, Boker? You know what Moshe says? Let's wait till the morning. First he just fell on his face. He just collapsed, understanding the potential catastrophic consequences of this rebellion. But then he gathers himself and he says, Boker, I'm tired. You're tired. Let's get in the morning. We'll have a cup of coffee and we'll take care of it then. Why Boker? Why wait until The morning. So everyone here weighs in. Zag Rashi, says Rashi, what's Boker? Rashi says two things. He says, right now is an ace Shichrus. What does Shichrus mean? Drunk. Drunk. Right now we're drunk. Drunk? Who said anything about drinks? It wasn't that Moshe and Korach were sitting in the bar having a l'chaim and all of a sudden (laughs) Korach, the intoxicated, belligerent Korach decides to incite a rebellion in his stupor. Who said anything about drinks? What do you mean it's an ace shichros? It's not proper to appear before Hashem while we're drunk. What what does that mean? So look at the Sif Chachamim, the commentary, super commentary on Rashi. (laughs) She'asukim b'machlokas kolayom. Says the you know why Rashi describes their, their attitude, their condition as drunk? Because what happens when a person gets drunk? They forfeit their clarity. They forfeit their judgment. They forfeit their acting in their best interest. When a person is engaged in Machlokas, they're drunk on the Machlokas. It's along the same lines of what Rav HaShawai's quoted from the Chidush HaRim. So single-minded, so driven, so convinced you're right, so consumed by the Machlokas, you're drunk on Machlokas. If you'd stop and be able to step outside of yourself and look at yourself and say, is that really intelligent? Is that going to lead to the results that you want? How is this going to end for you? The person would stop and abandon what they're doing, temper what they're doing. But a person is so consumed by machlokas is as if they're drunk in that moment. So Moshe says, look, you've been fighting all day. There's is going on all day. This is not a time to try to resolve this. You can't resolve this in this state, in this stupor. You need to sober up. Sleep on it, come back. The other thing Moshe Rashi says is, Shema Yachzer Bahem. What was Moshe doing? He was buying Korach time. It was a delay tactic. Boker, you know what? Go to bed, talk to your wife. Korach's wife, it turns out, was terrible. (laughs) As opposed to Mrs. Ben ben Pellet's wife who saved him. Korach's wife really is the one who every night said, Korach, they don't respect you, nobody respects you. Come on, Korach, why is it always Moshe and Aaron? Korach, you deserve better. She's the one who instigated the entire thing. But but Moshe thought Korach should go home and, and you know what? Talk to somebody, gain some clarity, sleep on it, have a good meal, take a warm shower, Relax, relax a little bit. and By the morning, you'll come back to your senses. By the morning, you'll realize this is not going anywhere good. So the first lesson for us from that word Boker and Moshe's delay tactic is not every instigation from someone towards us deserves an immediate reaction. You don't always have to shoot back that email right away. You got that email, somebody just fired the first shot of a machlokas at you through that email, through that text message, through that phone call, and boy, you're ready to like unload disproportionately, as those who accuse us in Israel of doing. You're ready to disproportionately wipe the floor with the person who sent you an email with a machlokas, because you've been you have a file of twenty years of that person wronging you, and you've been suppressing it and you've been hiding it and you haven't wanted to deal with it. Oh, but now you sent me an email because you're upset that the Simcha didn't do the thing. yeah, the Shabbos meal. Poor, I'm having to unload. Boker, don't send an email. Wait till the morning. Sleep on it. Maybe the person's going to write you back and say, you know what? I reread the email I sent you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have worded it in that way. I thought about what I said to you. I didn't mean to hurt you in that way. Even if not, the morning will give you the clarity how to respond in a productive way, not in a way which is self-sabotaging. So the first lesson of the word Boker is from Rashi, is this notion that when you are in the moment of Machlokas, by the way, the brain and all of the bio... Um, physical f- feedback is exactly fight or flight, reptilian, it's animalistic. When you, somebody instigates against you, you're, you're no longer of your right mind. That's what the shichras, the sif says, or Rashi says, when you're in that machlokas, you're like drunk because you're not in your right mind. You're not using the front uh, cortex, you're not using the parts of the brain which are the unique human thinking, analytical thinking. You're using the fight-flight animal parts of your brain which just want to have you unload on that person. And you're like a shikar. You're like a drunk person. So, Boker. Wait, take a deep breath, sleep on it, wait till the morning. The email can be responded to in the morning. By waiting, you both give the other person time to come to their senses and you can gather yourself to figure out what's the best path forward that will be the most productive. Let's keep going, actually, in the Orachayim. The Orachayim HaKadosh says, Boker... What does Moshe do? Let's keep reading the Pesukim for a second. Moshe says, Oh, yeah? You think that we're all equal? First of all, well, let's deal with it in the morning. And then the morning comes. Here's the deal. You, Korach, and your Eida, take fire pans, the Kalem that were used in the Mishkan, to burn the incense. Why did Moshe choose the incense? What history do we have with the incense? Do we have any history, a precedent of the incense being that which can decipher the right person from the wrong person? Did we ever have a consequence of somebody who brought incense who wasn't designated to do so? Who? Nadav and Aviyu. They brought a strange fire. They brought a ketorah that they weren't designated, they weren't commanded to. And what was the result? Death. Death. So Moshe says, okay, look. You know, Nadav and Aviyu tried this. Didn't work out too well for them. You're so convinced that you're the chosen ones. Very simple. Bring a ketores. If indeed you are the chosen ones, it'll be accepted. If not, and you're not commanded, and you are foreign to this service, then you will have the same consequence. First of all, Moshe throws in a great dig. We're going to come back to this in a moment. But Rav Lachem Bnei Why does he say Rav Lachem? Who used the word Rav Lachem a moment ago? Korach. Go to the very opening. The very opening of the Parsha. What does Korach say? Korach turns to Moshe and Aaron, and he says, Rav Lachem, dakulam da kulam kidoshim. So Moshe says, okay. You know what? Let's sleep on it. We'll deal with it in the morning. And here's what we'll do in the morning take the fire pan, offer the ketoras. You're the chosen ones. It'll be accepted. And if you're not, you're going to be wiped out. Rav Lachem. <laughs> takes the very same language and it's a zinger right back at Korach and his and his Eidah. So the Rechaim HaKadosh says, if you had this test of the ketodos, Moshe had it all lined up. So why didn't he employ it now? What are you waiting for Boker? Back to our question. Says the Rechaim HaKadosh, Ulai Shekvarinase bin Arbayim Shebo HaMivchan Because the ketodos that was offered in the evening had already been offered. So the test, the opportunity to to do that test, but it already passed. That time, Mincha is a time of din. Not Midas arachamim. Mincha is a time of Midas HaDin. So if you would do the test in the evening, in the afternoon, which is the time of Midas HaDin, of divine judgment, and then Korach and Izeida were rejected, they would say, it wasn't a fair fight. Yudavka employed the test. When you knew... That the odds were against us because it was Midas Adin, and for these two reasons, says the Rachai Makadosh, that's why Moshe waits till Boker. So we saw Rashi brought two reasons. They were drunk on, on machlokes they would lost their minds with anger, with rage. It's not the time to resolve things. Or Moshe was buying time for Korach to see the wrongness of his ways and come back. And the Archaim gives two reasons, either because they had brought the Kitaris of the Mincha time, of Ben Arbayim, or because it was Midas Adin, that wasn't the time to do it. The Rav, Rabbi Salavetchkin, Chumash gives a, I guess we're up to fifth reason for the word Boker. What does that word Boker invoke? Let me read to you the Rav. This statement by Korach that the entire congregation are holy is correct, as long as we're speaking of the community rooted Kedushi inherent from all our ancestors. You know, is Korach wrong... We actually have a tradition that Korach was a very um, virtuous, noble person. Korach was a chacham. Korach was a tzaddik. In fact, his argument is very compelling. We might have been persuaded to join. Kol Haida Kolam mm-hmm. Kedoshim. The holiness inherent in every one of us. Isn't that a beautiful message? I'm going to speak about this on Thursday night. At our Fabrengen for the Rebbe. Zatzal Gimel Tamaz. That the Rebbe's greatness was, he saw, Kolam Kedoshim. Every Jew is holy. Wherever they live on the globe, and whatever their lifestyle is right now, inherently, this holiness within every Jew. So, isn't that a very beautiful, beautiful attitude? Where did Korach go wrong? That's very beautiful. It's very true. And says the Rav, it's correct as long as we're speaking about the community. Indeed, the entire congregation, the community as a whole, is a source of holiness. Moshe was born into a Jewish community, as was the baby of a slave their shares in the endowment of sanctity were equal. However, if we shift our attention from the social aspect to the individual aspect of Kedusha, the whole idea of equality turns into an absurdity. We have to admit that the Bechira of Moshe was above and beyond the Bahira of the woodchopper or the water drawer. Interesting, in his response, Moshe gave Korach Boker, in the morning. Medieval grammarians, such as the Radak, in the Sefer Russian, talks about the word Boker. The word Boker is made up of the letters Bez, Kuf, Resh. Points out that boker has the connotation of discriminating and differentiating between individual forms. Boker means the period of recognition of things, events, and people. What's the opposite of boker, the inverse of boker? Erev. Where does Erev? What's the etymology of Erev? Ayan, Reish, Beis. Evening, in contradistinction, is the time of monotony and uniformity. Erev is a time of apprehending the surroundings as an amorphous, formless mass where the individuals merge into one homogeneous black reality. right? Erev, mi'urav, A Atarovus is a mixture. An Erev, Rabbi Reboski was just here with the rabbi who's down to help us uh, look at our Erev and see the improvements we can make. How does an Erev work? The Erev works because it makes everyone who is within that boundary, mi'urav, atarovus, it's a mixture of all those people live in one private domain all together. Erev, ta'arovas me'urav, means a mixture altogether, a formless monotony, a uniformity, a homogeneous blend. Here Moshe speaks not of the congregation, but of an individual. Moshe said to Korach, your concept of Kedush is identical with the Erev, with the bleakness of an eternal night, whose darkness and dreariness envelop everything. All you see is one piece of formless reality called da community. You don't see the individuals who make it up. Your concept of Kedusha is limited to what the medieval philosophers called Chomer Hahiyuli, the primordial mixture. From the viewpoint of Erev, your argument is valid. But there's another idea of the holy, the personal, individualistic holiness, in which the human personality participates with all its singular greatness and beauty. This is the holiness which discriminates, which sees individuals. This is the holiness of the morning, of Boker, when the world emerges from the nightly anonymity into a world full of sun. Joy, individual freedom, and individual greatness. As far as this holiness is concerned, the crowd is far below the individual. And each person is consecrated to a unique task that only he or she can perform. So beautiful. Says the Rav, the word Boker is not a coincidence. What Moshe was saying is, you're right. If we examine this, if we're going to have this fight, if we're going to engage this debate at night, you're right. Because under the cloak of darkness, of Erev, when everything is Me'urav, You're right, kolay da kolam When you take the community, all you see is Bokeraton synagogue community. That's nondescript. That's one grouping. That's the unity. But we're made up of individuals who are diverse, who are different, who each have their own mission, who each have our own charge in this world, who each have our own mandate. And that's Boker. That's not Erev where we're all combined. It's Boker, where we're discriminating, discerning, where we're different one from the other. And we have roles to play. The Kohen is different than the Levi, who's different than the Israel. The man is different than the woman. The firstborn is different than those who come after. We have all of these differences. Not better, not superior, but different. You're right. You want to erase those differences? Look at the community, the nation as a whole. That's Erev. But you know what, Korach? We're going to deal with this when... Boker. When the sun comes up and there's the clarity and the vision and the ability to see the differences, then you'll understand that your argument that we're all equal doesn't hold true when you zoom in and look at the level of the individual. A very, very beautiful insight of Rabbi Salavechik. The fifth explanation of Boker. Why it waits all the way until Boker. A sixth explanation. And this explanation is also beautiful. We've derived lessons from each of the five. From the Ravs is that we, as Jews, live in Boker and Erev simultaneously. The individual and the community. The Rav is a famous essay. The individual and the community. That we live in both dimensions simultaneously. On the one hand, we're committed to the entity, to the entire unity of our people, to the community. We're willing to submit. We're willing to blend. We're willing to surrender our individuality for the good of the whole. But at the same time, we preserve our individuality and we pursue our individuality and we have to be able to find both. I once spoke about that Rov's essay at the Sheva Brachos because to a degree that's what marriage is. Marriage, you blend in to be a couple, the couple, the family unit. But on the other hand, if somebody is sacrificing or submitting or suppressing their individuality and they grow resentful of it or they are it's a form of abuse, not to be given expression to your individuality, to be coerced by the other, to be overshadowed by the other. A healthy marriage, like our relationship with our people, is Boker and Erev simultaneously. It's to be integrated, it's the Erev Me'urav, it's a We're a unit together, but on the other hand, we're individuals who comprise it, and there's room and expression for our individuality as well. Number six explanation is given by the Orpnei Moshe. Who was a contemporary of Ravelli Melech of Lezhinsk? And he says that Moshe was alluding to something else by invoking Boker. And he references a Gemara and, and really, Rashi says this as well. Let's look at it first in Rashi. It says Rashi. V'Hikriv. Rashi V'Hikriv. Targum Mochiach Kain Umedrasho Boker. Amalo Moshe. Moshe says to Korach the following. He says, look, Korach, you see this all as one blend? It's one blur? No. Kodesh Baruch Hu made boundaries in his world. He made distinctions in his world. atem kach tuch You can't switch morning to night or night to morning. You can't control. HaKodesh Baruch Hu set the sun and the moon in motion. The sun rises in the morning, goes down in the evening, and you can't interfere with that. There's absolutely nothing you can do to manipulate that. And just like you can't manipulate the distinct roles of the sun and the moon, you can't switch day into night or night into day, similarly, you can't switch our own's position, my position, your position. We were given these positions. Cohen, Levi, Israel, men, women, Bechor, non-Bechor, and the list goes on and on. As true, as binding, as unchanging, as the sun and the moon, as nature, the natural order is the supernatural order and the roles that Hashem gave us. The Gemara Chulin spells it out even more. Gemara Chun says, How did one become big and one small? The moon said in front of God, God, the, the, the heavens. The cosmos are not big enough, said the moon, for me and the sun. How can two kings share one crown? Who's the king? I want you to shrink the sun and make me the moon bigger. I want to wear the crown. I want to wear the crown. What did Hashem do? Amar l'chiyu He said, go diminish yourself. And the moon as a result shrunk and the moon waxes and wanes. It becomes a sliver. It becomes a sliver. Says the Orpane Moshe. The Moshe was telling Korach, Boker. We'll deal with it in the morning. And he said, you think you're the first one to incite this rebellion? You think you're the first one to challenge the roles that we've been placed in the world? The moon challenged Hashem, it's unfair that the sun shines so bright and infringes on his territory. And as a result, what did Hashem say? He shrunk the moon and he made it clear the sun rules the day. And when Moshe was telling Korach, Boker, Boker, an allusion to the sun, Boker, you think you're the first to try this? You think you're the first who's unhappy with your lot and your assignment in life and you're trying to reverse it. The moon tried it. And how well did it work for the moon? Mm -hmm. You want to know how well it worked? Boker. Let's wait for the morning and we'll check out the sun. Because the sun is greater than the moon. The Sva'asemes is bothered by the simple implication of Boker V'yoda Hashem Es HaShelo. Moshe had made it sound like we'll find out in the morning who Hashem loves. Did Moshe have any doubt? How do you think Aaron felt? Korach comes and he says, Aaron, nepotism, your brother, you appointed him, I'm just as good, I'm, I want to be the coin Gadol, I'm taking over. And what does Moshe say? Hmm, maybe you have a fair point. Okay, you know what? Let's wait for the morning, we'll see who Hashem chooses. If you're Aaron, you say, hey bro, what, what is that? What happened? You didn't have my back. Why didn't you stand up for me? You should have put Korach in his place. You should have put our cousin in his place and said, what do you mean, well, let's wait for Hashem to decide and determine? Hashem has decided. Aaron is the man why imply that it's not yet decided, it's not yet set in stone. The Svasemis offers an astounding answer. Swasemis suggests the true Aaron had been selected, but that was yesterday. How do you know that Aaron will remain selected tomorrow? A Jew has to live life never taking anything for granted, never making accept assumptions, never living with a sense of entitlement. avodas Hashem can never grow stale or complacent or work off assumptions, or make us feel entitled. It has to be renewed and refreshed and reinvigorated. And therefore Moshe was saying is, you know what, you're raising a challenge, and let's see. Aaron, if he's not continued to be selected by Hashem, will forfeit the position. Because we can't live with a sense of entitlement. Every single day, we approach the gift of our position and distinction in life with a sense of renewal. And that's the Pasuk in Kisavo. Pasuk says, On this day Hashem commanded you. And Rashi quotes the Medrash that every day our attitude towards Torah and mitzvahs have to be as if it's new, as if we've just been commanded, as if it's from the start. And so Moshe is telling Korach, Boker, let's wait till the morning and see what happens. In the morning the sun rises, it's a new day, it brings new opportunity. But it also brings new responsibility to prove ourselves worthy. And if my brother Aaron proves himself worthy, then Hashem will renew his commitment towards Aaron. And if not, then maybe it's you. Let's wake up and let's see. This is also the theme of Rosh Chodesh, which is tonight, I believe. Tomorrow and Thursday, Rosh Chodesh Tamuz. of Gadal Shorer, the Or Gedalyahu, writes: Rosh Chodesh is the Yontif, the quasi-holiday of Chidush, of renewal that we never get locked into our patterns and our habits. We never submit that this is the way it is, this is who I am, this is my life, this is my lot. Rosh Chodesh is chidush. Just like the moon can renew, so too we can renew. Every month is pregnant with new possibility, with new opportunity. We're never complacent, we're never fatalistic, we never forfeit or surrender, but we recognize that if we bring an attitude of newness, boker that every day we take it from the Boker, every day we take it from the top, and we start from the beginning again. That was explanation number six and seven. Finally, number eight is from Rav Asher Weiss again. So Rav Asher Weiss also references the Rashi, that the Medrash says Moshe, when he was saying Boker, I told you, you can give a five-hour shir just on the word Vayikach, five-hour shir just on the word Boker. You have to be sensitive to the text though. Most people heard Parshas Korach a million times and you hear Boker and you say, okay, so Moshe said in the morning we'll resolve it. How many of us stopped to say, why did Moshe wait till the morning? What's the deeper message? What was it communicating? What was the Torah communicating to us about how to resolve machlokus, How to stay in control? How to not feel entitled? How to give other people the opportunity to walk back their instigation? All of these messages are only because these commentators were bothered enough to pause and stop and say, why does it say Boker? So the last explanation, Rav Asher Weiss. So what's the meaning of this medrash? How is the distinction between night and day relevant to Aaron's distinction as a Kohen Gadol? So Rav Asher suggests, based on the Gemara in Shabbos. Gemara in Shabbos, one of my favorite Gemaras. I get the opportunity to, to try this Gemara. Not often, but often enough. Gemara says, Tana Aluvim ve'inan ovim, Shomim cherpasan, ve'inan mishivim, Ose what does that mean? The Gemara elsewhere says that we should be. Aluvim and Ovim are those who are ridiculed, who do not ridicule others back. Hear their disgrace, they're, they're here, they're being attacked, they don't attack back. Of them, the Pasuk says, those who love Hashem will be like the sun which goes forth in its might. Ask what does the Gemara mean? The notion of being in control, of encouraging us, that even when you're attacked, don't attack back, stay calm, absorb the blow, and move on. Be attacked. So someone posted about you online, someone leveled an unfair accusation, someone sent out an anonymous letter, somebody wrote you an obnoxious email. Be among those who are attacked and ridiculed, In fact, the Chavetz Chaim had a Masora, that a person who is in that moment, that they're attacked, but they gather themselves enough to say, you know what? I'm not going to dignify this with a response. I'm not going to lose my own cool. I'm just going to absorb the blow and move on. That when that person in that moment has achieved such righteousness, when they give a bracha, that bracha has a very, very, very special quality. Find somebody who's being attacked and who has the self-control to absorb it and not respond. Get a bracha from that person in that moment, and it's a bracha for ourselves. And that's what the Pasuk says. You're likened, Hashem loves you. How does Hashem love you? Like the sun, which goes forth in its might. Says Rav Asher, what is the fact that you were attacked, you were ridiculed, you were disgraced, and you absorbed it, you didn't do it back, what does that have to do with the sun? So the E.N. Yaakov, the commentary on the E.N. Yaakov, offers a beautiful explanation of the Gemara. And he quotes our other Gemara, Baba Basra, That when the sun and the moon were first created, they were equal size, and the moon said two kings can't wear the same crown. And Hashem said, you know what? You're right. Moon, you get smaller. The sun's going to wear the crown. So in each and every generation, this is Hashem's method of resolving disputes between those who ridicule and those who ridiculed. Between those who disgrace and those who are disgraced but do not respond. He knacks down the ridiculers and disgracers, and He uplifts the ridiculed and disgraced. He comforts the disgraced as He comforted the sun. And that's what the Gemara means... Well, he quotes the Pasuk about the sun. If you can bear the blow, the sun didn't fight back against the moon. The sun didn't argue, I want to be greater than the moon. The moon was the instigator. And how did Hashem respond? By shrinking the moon and giving the crown to the sun. And that's how Hashem operates in the world. I tell people all the time, when they're attacked unfairly, I say, don't gauge. First of all, I'm a big believer in my own life. I've seen this several times, that what goes around comes around. Don't get in Hashem's way. He's got a plan. He'll figure it out. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's in a month, maybe it's in 10 years, maybe it's in your lifetime, maybe it's after. But what goes around comes around and whoever's acting in that way, Karsh Baruch has a plan, just get out of his way and don't interfere with it. Be a spectator on the side of it. But it has a bracha. lovim And what's the bracha? Just like the sun was rewarded for not shooting back to the moon, where the moon was the one, the disgracer was the one who shrunk and the disgraced was honored, so too in perpetuity and for all time, Hu honors the disgraced and shrinks, punishes the disgracer. And that's what Hashem, that's what Moshe was telling Korach. Boker. With this we can understand Rashi's explanation. Can you turn morning into night? Moshe asked Korach. It's impossible to revoke Aaron's appointment as Kohen Godel. and anyone who attempts it, disgracing Aaron in the process, will suffer the same fate as the moon, which was thrown down from its grandeur. Yet Aaron and Moshe, who were ridiculed and disgraced, they emerged victorious, just like the sun goes forth in its might. So the sixth explanation, or seventh—I don't even remember—eighth, whatever we're up to—of the word Boker is this idea. That, Boker. Just like the sun absorbed the blow and didn't fight back, you think Moshe couldn't have gotten up at a pedestal? Moshe could have gotten up in his pulpit and said a lot of things about his cousin, marginalized him and made the entire machlokas disappear. But he didn't. He absorbed the body blow and he moved on. Just like the sun. And just like Hashem rewarded the sun, He rewards us. Now the main thing I want, this was all by way of introduction. <laughs> The main thing I wanted to get to which I'm going to make a note to myself maybe you can remind me to start with next year is a very a very puzzling mysterious comment by Rashi about Korach that how did Korach how did this whole thing happen how did this whole thing happen so Rashi says Eno hit atu his eye let a astray." Korach be amara Korach's a smart guy. What led him to the shtus? What the Chidish Arim said was so irrational and illogical. To put forth an argument? Moshe is arrogant? Are you kidding? Hashem testified he's humble. What led him to that ridiculous conclusion? A no, he taught to. His eye led him astray. What do you have? Cataracts, macular degeneration. What happened with his eye? What happened with his eye? What led him astray? So that's what I wanted to get into, the notion that we see out of two eyes, but Korach was blind in one eye. And why did he only see out of one eye what does that correspond with the notion of seeing out of two eyes? He was blind in one eye. He's not the only one. Bilam is described as Shesum Ha'ayin. Bilam also was blind in an eye. The Miraglam were blind in the other eye. What is this notion of being seeing out of two eyes, which offers a perspective? What are the two eyes we see out of? What does it mean to be blind out of one eye? We'll pick up what that Rashi and what it means. The Mirza Hashem, Parshas Korach, Tavshin